the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this November 13th edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Today we have quite a lineup. I'm looking forward to a conversation with Adam Michelle. He's a policy analyst at the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies, which is a mouthful. Well, the House and the Senate have uh, both released their tax reform plans. We're going to take a look at uh, some of what they have released. Uh, There's still some fixes that would continue to facilitate economic growth. We'll look at what's missing as well as what's there. Uh, And I'm also going to share in the 4 o'clock hour a conversation I had with a couple of dear friends, Jerutha Greenwich and Deborah Greenwich, Uh, Together, the three of us are undaunted, and we are presenting a concert and conference this Friday and Saturday, the concert on Friday night, the conference on uh, Saturday for women, the concerts for everybody, and we'll talk about that uh, um, at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, I am so looking forward to a conversation with Johnny Erickson Tata. She has re-released a book she wrote 25 years ago. At that time, it was more of a theoretical dive into the right to die, the death with dignity movement. Today, it's certainly... Uh, much more than theoretical. The book is titled, When Is It Right to Die? A Comforting and Surprising Look at Death and Dying. If you want to understand these issues from a biblical perspective, uh, written from the vantage point of someone who is a paraplegic, excuse me, a quadriplegic, and uh, lives a life of suffering, chronic pain, uh, this is the book uh, to consider. Now, it has been updated. Uh, again, it was originally written 25 years ago. Now, 25% of its content has been updated to reflect uh, current law and trends, and she'll be joining me to talk about that uh, at five o'clock. And Wes Walterman, who is the director of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree, I know. Can you believe it? We're we're I think eleven days away from the first performance of the Singing Christmas Tree, which, by the way, is back in the Keller Auditorium. We'll talk with Wes about uh, what you can expect this year as it is presenting its fifty. 50- Fifth season. That's quite a significant accomplishment. And there is little else across the country like the uh, Portland Singing Christmas Tree performing in a major hall in a major city uh, in uh, in the country. So we'll talk with him about that. So that's uh, some of what to expect. Well, for most of us, uh, this past Sunday was an opportunity to come together and fellowship with believers in a building that we're familiar with, whether we own it or renting it or it's a cafeteria most of the time. But in a small town, Texas church, where 26 people were massacred, it's been cleaned out, painted completely white, and a rather chilling tribute to the shooting victims. A temporary memorial opened this Sunday inside the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs exactly a week after the gunman stormed in, unleashed the worst mass shooting in Texas history. The inside of the church has been transformed with its walls, floor, pulpit, painted completely white, Broken windows and ceiling tiles have been replaced. Bullet holes have been filled in. The church pews, the carpet, and all the equipment have been removed. No blood stains, no evidence of what occurred there, except there are chairs representing each of the 26 and where they fell. In each chair, a red rose. All that remains is 26 empty white chairs adorned with a single rose 
that have each been inscribed in gold with the names of the victims, including one for the unborn baby of a victim who was pregnant at the time of her death. Well, the chairs have also been arranged in the spots where the victims were sitting during the Sunday service. They were there to worship. Mark Collins, a previous pastor at First Baptist, said constructing the memorial wasn't an easy decision. Some members had said they never wanted to step foot inside that site again, while others said they needed to see it. Next Sunday service is expected to take place on the grounds of the church in a makeshift structure. Church members will have to decide whether to demolish the church, as some have said is likely, and the pastor, in fact, last week hinted at that. But plans are also being discussed to build a new structure nearby. Congregants and the families of the victims were invited to return to the inside of the church for the first time on Sunday afternoon after an emotional sermon that held, uh, uh, was held outdoors under the massive white tent I haven't seen this done in other catastrophes, the pastor said, Frank Pomeroy, whose 14-year-old daughter was killed. But I want the world to know that that building will be open so that everyone who walks in there will know that the people who died lived for their Lord and Savior and now live with their Lord and Savior. During the service earlier on Sunday, Pomeroy shared his personal heartache and a message that the community bound together by faith can move past the evil that attacked the church Uh, Seven days earlier, rather than choose darkness, as that young man did that day, we choose light, he said during the service. His voice cracked as he spoke of his uh, spoke rather of his 14 year old daughter, Annabelle, who was among those killed in the rampage. I know everyone who gave their life that day, he said, pausing to gather himself, some of whom were my best friends and my daughter. He wiped his eyes. Then he added, I guarantee that they're dancing with Jesus today. Initially, the church had planned to hold Sunday service at an adjacent community center, which can accommodate a few dozen people. But when organizers realized hundreds planned to attend, the service was moved to a massive white tent erected in a baseball field. So many people turned up that the tent's side flaps had to be opened to allow overflow so that uh, those who couldn't get a seat could see and hear what was going on inside. They came to worship, to celebrate, and to remember. The front three rows were reserved for survivors of the attack and the families of those who were killed. The gunman, Devin Patrick Kelly, went uh, aisle by aisle looking for victims and shot crying babies at point-blank range, according to witness accounts. The dead ranged in age from unborn, 18 months, to 77 years old. About 20 were wounded in this shooting as well. Kelly died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound after he was shot and chased by two men who heard the gunfire at the church. Investigators have said the attack appeared to stem from a domestic dispute involving his mother-in-law, who sometimes attended services at the church but wasn't there that day. Kelly had a history of domestic violence. He was given a bad conduct discharge from the Air Force after pleading guilty uh, to assault, uh, assaulting his first uh, wife and uh, his infant Son, hundreds of mourners crowded into that tiny town of Sutherland Springs for the first Sunday service since that gunman stormed into First Baptist Church a week earlier. And they were rejoicing because while the worshipers there, uh, their lives were ended. It was not expected. It was not planned. They know precisely what happened next. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to share a conversation with Adam Michelle, a policy analyst at the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies. We're going to talk about the House and Senate tax reform plans, where they differ, how they're similar, and what fixes were left out. All of that coming up in just a few moments. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as you know, last week, the House GOP released their first uh, details on how Republicans plan to update the federal tax code. Uh, then the uh, Senate did the same. They uh, recently released their bill that improves on the House bill in many ways and uh, many places, but misses some important opportunities elsewhere. Well, here to talk with us about what's there and what's not is Adam Michelle. He focuses on tax policy and the federal budget as a policy analyst in the uh, Thomas A. Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, we've been waiting a long time for the details to be uh, made uh, public from both the House and the Senate. First of all, give us your impression of each and uh, then we can move on to some of the things that are not in either version. Yeah, so the the House and Senate bills both do a lot of important things and are both a big step in the right direction. They both go a long way to fix our broken business tax code, which will allow businesses to create more jobs here, move back here rather than being pushed abroad, and, and generally grow the economy, putting more money in people's pockets. They They also both simplify the tax code for most individual taxpayers. They double the standard deduction, which exempts a large piece of income for most Americans. And uh, to a large extent, they lower rates for, for all Americans. This is one of the places where they differ, but those are sort of the high-level le- high details. Um, you point out in one of your uh, commentaries that the proposal is pro-growth, pro-worker, but leaves much of the economy's growth potential on the table. According to the Tax Foundation, the plan would uh, grow the economy by a about 3.9% over 10 years, and that a bolder update to the tax code could have unleashed twice as much growth. What's left out of both of these versions, although the Senate version uh, does perhaps a little better job in some of these areas? Yeah, so the biggest thing that's missing is what's called full expensing. And although it sounds complicated, it basically just allows businesses, both small and large, to write off the full value of, of a purchase in the year they make it rather than the current system that requires uh, complicated rules to, to write off these, these purchases over a long period of time, which makes it less attractive to invest here in America. And that's investment in buildings, in factories, in, in new equipment, in, fa- in farm equipment. And, and so th- just this one piece, leaving it out, there's a, a partial provision of this in the, current, in the current bill for five years. But if it were to be made uh, permanent and expanded in scope, uh, this could provide almost twice as much economic growth over the long term. Now, from your perspective, why was that not included in either the House or Senate versions as they currently stand? So the the current uh, legislation is being considered on a static basis, so they're not taking into consideration the economic feedback, this growing the economy piece that would actually result in, in increased tax revenue in some cases. So full expensing on a static basis, not taking into consideration this economic growth, appears to be expensive when you, when they look at it the way they do here in Washington. So it was primarily left out for, for sort of revenue reasons to try to make the numbers add up to this sort of artificial box they've put themselves in, in trying to only cut taxes by one and a half trillion dollars over 10 years. That's what has driven a lot of the sort of bad decisions that are being made in the process. Now, we know that the House and Senate versions differ, although there are some similarities. Uh, And given the political climate that we've seen and infighting, even within the Republican Party, how likely is it that any of this is going to be relevant because either the House or the Senate is able to pass it and then in conference Um, reconcile the differences between the two, and in some areas, they're quite dramatic. 
Yeah, I'm I'm still very optimistic that we're going to see uh, full tax reform get to the president's desk by the end of the year. They're they're moving quickly. They are working together to a large extent. Many of the provisions are are similar. Both as both uh, House and Senate bills have this doubling of the standard deduction, increase the child tax tax credit. Similarly, they both lower the corporate tax rate, have some piece of expensing. The probably biggest difference is the House bill doesn't fully repeal the state and local tax tax deduction, and the Senate bill does. Um, and, and, and then there's some smaller differences. But other than that, there's a difference in the treatment of the death tax. The House fully repeals it towards the end. The, the Senate doesn't. Mm-hmm. But other than those couple sticking points, I, I think that we, we should see a lot of consensus between the two plans. So what happens now? We're hearing a lot of deadlines being um, announced as, uh, you know, it's possibly, it's probably going to be passed before Thanksgiving immediately. <laughs> but but what, what might we expect in the short term over the next several weeks? Yeah, so... Uh, I think it's on Thursday or later in this week, the House will, the whole House will pass their version of, of the tax reform bill that's already out of committee, and I'm pretty optimistic that that will, that will get through the House. The Senate this, year, this week is moving their bill through the committee and probably will get to the full Senate floor uh, right after Thanksgiving, and then they need to figure out the differences between this, the, the two bills uh, after that, and that, that will be challenging, but uh, hopefully it'll be a productive conversation and they can, uh, they can find something they all agree on. Now, at this point, it appears that this will be uh, this will not be a bipartisan effort. Is there any um, indication that there are Democrats who are prepared to support all or a portion of what the House and the Senate have proposed? Or is this going to be a GOP plan uh, f- from start to finish? Uh, the, it's being driven by by Republicans, but when you when you start looking at the numbers, they they have gone out of their way to not provide big tax cuts for the most wealthy Americans. They've increased uh, middle class and family benefits in these plans. They've focused on getting as much economic growth as they as they can out of this plan within the constraints that we already talked about. So when it when it really comes down to the wire, I I would I would think that some Democrats would have to end up voting for this. They're certainly not going to be helpful in, in getting it over the necessary thresholds. But in, in the, at the end of the day, I'm sure some Democrats will vote for it. It's just you can't vote against a jobs bill and a tax cut for most Americans. What role, if any, is the executive likely to play in either shaping the outcome of the, the legislation, the tax reform uh, bill, or in, in putting enough pressure on uh, lawmakers that it moves the, the timeline a bit closer than it might otherwise have been? So I think we've already seen a lot of uh, sort of involvement from the administration. The original principles that came out were heavily influenced by by the, by the president and and his his administration. The 20% corporate tax rate down from the worldwide uh, record-setting level it current, currently is at is one of, one of the things that he made sure was part of this this debate and was included in these reforms. And he's also pushing to get this done as quickly as possible. So a lot of what they're doing is behind the scenes, but everyone's on the same page and sort of moving towards the same the same goal at the end of the day. Well, it will be interesting to watch over the next several weeks uh, what happens. The president will be returning home, and I uh, expect that he'll be speaking a bit more forcefully about it, although he hasn't been silent up to, to this point. And we'll watch closely to see what happens next. Yeah, I, you and me both. I'm excited <laughs> to see it happen. <laughs> well, I appreciate your helping us to better understand what's there, what's not there, and we'll see what, how the debate shapes around perhaps some of those issues that you've mentioned that could make their way into a final version in the reconciliation process. Who knows?
We'll hopefully get to see everyone get a tax cut and as much economic growth as we can out of this plan. That's what I'm hopeful for. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me Appreciate it. Again, Anna Michelle is a policy analyst at the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. As I mentioned, last week, the House GOP released their first concrete details on how they plan to update the federal tax code. Uh, The tax cuts, the jobs, um, it's called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, It provides tax relief to many Americans, has the potential to facilitate real economic growth through important business tax reforms, although it falls short in some areas. And while the uh, the House proposal as a whole is a step in the right direction, there are some ways to improve the House version of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to better meet the goals of a pro-growth tax reform. If that's not your number one priority, then there are elements that might be left out. And then, of course, uh, recently the Senate released their bill. It improves on the House bill by many accounts in uh, many places, but it misses some important opportunities uh, elsewhere. Many of the details of the House and Senate bills are similar. Both include five years of expensing for new equipment, uh, drop in corporate income tax rate from 35 to 20 percent permanently, and although the Senate bill delays that cut by a year, uh, that latter provision could delay much-needed economic benefits uh, in this whole um, enterprise as well. If you're interested in uh, sort of a line item where the Senate version and the House version are similar and where they differ, you can go to uh, DailySignal.com, and they have uh, an article there, a tale of of two tax bills comparing the House and Senate reform plans, and literally in columns will give you a an idea of where each of the elements in these two versions of tax reform, uh, where they line up or fail to line up. Again, you can go to dailysignal.com, a tale of two tax bills. I'll try to put that on the Georgine Rice Show page as well so you can check that out. And again, that's on Facebook, the Georgine Rice Show. Up next, I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with a couple of friends of mine, Jerutha Greenwich and Deborah Greenwich. Uh, the three of us, me, Deborah. Jerutha, are undaunted, and we are presenting a concert and conference this weekend. We want to give you all the important details and invite you to join us. So stick around for that. Also, later in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk with Johnny Erickson Tata. She has re-released a book some 25 years after its original release with 25% more content. It's called When Is It Right to Die? A Comforting and Surprising Look at Death and Dying. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, the second hour of the program. So we're glad to have you with us. About every couple of years, I invite a couple of friends in studio. We don't do this very often, but with me now is Deborah Greenidge and Jerutha Greenidge. Together, the three of us are undaunted. And you might recall, it's been a while ago, we uh, had a conversation here and talked about the formation of our group and what we were doing at that time. Well, today they've joined me in studio because uh, the three of us are presenting a concert and conference the week. Weekend of Well, in fact, this weekend, this Friday at uh, New Song Church, there's a concert at 730 and then on Saturday, a women's conference from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So they've joined me to talk a bit about that, our quest to encourage women to take a journey from fear to faith. And so I'd like to welcome Deborah and Jerutha. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's Hi. good to have you in the studio with me. Could you come every day? Because this would be, <laughs> this would be a lot easier. We could try, but I don't know. <laughs> the drive alone. The drive would alone. Kill you. Uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, uh, for the sake of listeners who didn't hear our conversation, which was about two years ago, <laughs> let's kind of start at the beginning. Um, the three of us together are undaunted. And Deborah, maybe you can explain how this happened and what our purpose is in trying to call women to deeper faith. 
Well, I, I am related to Jerutha. She graciously married my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a connection there. And Georgine and I and Jerutha have done music projects for years. And a while ago, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to do a worshipful project, three things. A CD, a book, and a conference. And I want you to ask Georgine and Jerusha to do it with you. And I kind of laughed. Not <laughs> at God, but I just thought, really? They're so busy. They're so talented. They're so dot, dot, dot. But uh, we had lunch and talked about it. And they both said, well, I'll pray about it. And we came back a month later and they said, I think that the Lord wants us to do this. And so that's when we started pursuing making the CD, writing the songs, working together. And for the last, what, four or five years, we've uh, met together almost weekly mm -hmm. <laughs> in stages here and there and worked on the Undaunted uh, project. The CD's done. The book is done. We had our first conference two years ago. And so this is our second one. I'm really excited about that. Well, I think one of the things that, that drew the three of us together to work uh, and to, to name ourselves Undaunted was a desire to call women who uh, were floundering in their faith to deeper commitment and to to talk about what has kept us tethered to our faith through some very difficult circumstances. And each one of us has a story, I think, that reflects that the challenges that life brings can either uh, cause us to walk away or to draw nearer to God. And we wanted to encourage women to choose the latter, to draw nearer to him in the midst of challenging circumstances. And that's really what tethered us together mm -hmm. in calling other women to deeper commitment yes. um, to Christ. I know, Jerutha, when you and I were first presented with the idea, you and I are thinking, you know, Deborah is this multi-talented exactly. woman. And I'm thinking... Really, Deborah? You're really asking me to do this? <laughs> you with want you? us to write? You want us to to do uh, you know a, a project where we do original music together? It was a little bit daunting to. to oh use the word. yes, it was daunting. <laughs> uh, I've been stretched in ways I never knew I could stretch that far, but uh, praise God, He has helped me to write some stories and to be a part of this, and I'm so grateful to God for it. Uh, it was a bit daunting when she asked at first. I thought, I don't know if I can do this, but, you know, through Christ, we can do all things. So. Amen. Amen. Uh, one of the things I appreciate about the time that we've spent together is it's forced us to really think about what is it that keeps us tethered to Christ in difficult times and in challenging circumstances and to really flesh that out. What does the word say and how might we not only encourage others, but allow our own hearts to be encouraged in that process because he's trustworthy and, and we want to um, encourage other women to think about the goodness of God in, in tough times. Yes. I remember when I was on staff at another church, um, one of our worship team members came to the gathering and she said, the Lord has given me a word for all of us. And it was simply these two words, anchor deep. And that has stuck with me for probably 10 or 15 years, that uh, when the storms come, ships sink their anchor deeper and deeper mm -hmm. and as deep as they can go to make sure they stay steady in the storm. And uh, I have I have just kind of embraced that thought through these years, which has kind of circled through our lives through this journey too. You know, we... We talk about um, staying close to God through the tough times, but as three female friends, it's important for us to laugh together, cry together, pray together, sing together, worship together. All those things help us 
anchor deep in. And I think one of the message for particularly uh, people today in such a disconnected culture that we anchor deep in the word to God and to our relationships with each other, you know, having Amen. authentic relationships with other people of faith is what helps us journey through the tough spots. I can't tell you how many times I've sort of been on the edge of despair might be too strong a word, but the two of you have helped to pull me back, you know, to a place of confidence and trust and hope in Christ where, where joy has been able to flood back in. And that, that relationship of women of faith being together, yes. reminding one another mm-hmm. of the goodness of God and opening his word. And, and again, lifting our voices together in worship has really helped mm-hmm. to carry me through some, some really difficult and challenging times. For example, I know our listeners know that um, these last few months, in fact, throughout the summer, my husband's health has been sort of hanging in the balance, and we don't really know what the future holds for him. We're talking about the possibility of a heart transplant and all of the things that came before that. Uh, spending time with my sisters in Christ and, and being encouraged together has been such a, a strengthening uh, that we want to extend that to other women who perhaps don't have the kind of strong relationships that we have forged mm-hmm. and encourage them to to look around and see the resources that God has made yeah. available. Yes. Amen. It's Amen. interesting to me to hear you, Georgine, and you, Jerutha, talk about um, me being this talented woman and you didn't see yourself that way. That's classic uh, women, that you don't see what we see, those of us around us. That's why we need each other mm-hmm. Absolutely. to help you get a right perspective on who God has created you to be and who you are, even in the midst of the this, this stuff, the stuff of life. And I love that about authentic friendships and about these two women that I love dearly. That now, one of the reasons that we're here today is to talk about a conference and a concert to which you are invited. Uh, the three of us have been, for the last 12 months or more, uh, been praying about, thinking about how might we uh, encourage women where they are today. And we uh, decided and felt led that we really needed to focus on the, the idea of trust, the journey from fear to faith. We're living in very challenging times. Mm-hmm. The The level of division and anxiety and um, division that exists in our culture today uh, it threatens to overwhelm mm-hmm. us and to to lead people into despair. And we wanted to encourage women to focus on trusting God and uh, to trace out that, to chart that journey from a place of fear, where many of us are, when you name a certain area, uh, to faith. And how do we navigate from one to the other? And so our conference is titled Trust the Journey from Fear to Faith. And the three of us, along with a number of friends, are presenting a concert on Friday night, uh, 7.30 p.m. at New Song Church, and then on Saturday, a a women's conference. And that's going to be from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., in which we are going to really press in what does God's Word have to say on a number of subjects that relate to a woman's heart in a difficult time like this one. Now, uh, in addition to um, our uh, us, our friends, um, and uh, and us, which wasn't a very good way of putting that, but, you know. <laughs> anyway, Barb Boswell, who's a local uh, speaker, Jody Mayhew, Trish Jetter, and Gloria Stidham are all going to be presenting on uh, subjects that are relevant to a woman's heart as we're journeying from fear to faith. It's going to be a great um, a great morning. Yes, it is. We are trusting God for it. Amen. Excited about uh, not just the conference, but the concert. Uh, Georgine, can men come to the concert? Oh, men can come to the concert. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome all men to come to the concert. <laughs> Excited about sharing the worship and the songs that we've been working on with our friends, with Lisa Hart and 
Donna Stutzman. That's my sister. That's Donna Stutzman sister. is my yes. sister. Yes. And with uh, Linda Kennedy, with Camille Bass, with Marla Sampson. Um, did I miss and anyone? And Rochelle Favorel, which is yes. my daughter. There you go. <laughs> and Camille's my niece. Can you get that? We like to involve our family in yes, these things. Yes, we do. And, and, dear uh, and then my brother, Paul Greenwich, he's uh, heading up the band and putting that all together and working together with them. And my brother, Timothy, is running sound. And our dear friend, Dan Elson, is running lights. It's going to be a great concert of worship and praise and adoration and all those things. Well, and it's not going to be, you know, a series of dirges. Well, God is good, even though we're dying. There's going to to be energy and excitement. What's the bridge to that song? (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to hear it, actually. (laughs) But a reminder of who God is. And we've got music that's That's going to get you up on your feet and praising him and being reminded, yes, we are in this together, first of all. God is with us and we are going to uh, prevail. So it's going to be a great evening of music. Yes, it is. All right. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to continue our conversation again. We're talking with Deborah Greenwich, Jerutha Greenwich, and me. Um, You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. By the way, you can find out more about the concert and the conference at undauntedministries.org. That's undauntedministries.org or call 971-225-3608. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. With me in studio, my dear friends, Deborah Greenwich and Jerutha Greenwich. Together, the three of us are undaunted. We're presenting a concert and conference this weekend, and we'd love for you to join us. Barb Boswell will be speaking at the conference, Jody Mayhew, Trish Jetter, and Gloria Stidham. And the concert's just going to be a rousing opportunity to be reminded of the goodness and the provision of God. So we would encourage you to go to the website, undauntedministries.org, for more information. Again, undauntedministries.org. Ministries.org, or you can call 971-225-3608, and you can register for the concert and conference, one or the other. Again, 971-225-3608. We've been working on this for such a long time, it's hard to imagine that it's this weekend. Mm-hmm. It's upon us. Yes. Why, yes, it is. It's been exciting um, to see the progression of things. It's been a journey of... Um, Incredible laughter at times and (laughs) incredible, uh, intense work. Yes. So we're excited to see it all come together. You know, it's interesting. Months ago, we felt led that our focus should be on trust, the journey from fear to faith. And in the intervening months, it's just confirmed that this is a, a season in which so many are overcome by fear and anxiety and concern about the future. Um, that how God planted that seed in us a long time ago to minister at this time. It's it's a very timely uh, subject for, mm-hmm. for so many of us, and women in particular. Yeah, I, I think that there's the... Sometimes I just have to turn the TV off. Yeah. Um, because the images and the stories that are constantly bombarding yes. our minds, um, they they promote fear. So we we want to bombard people's spirits with the Word of God with the truth of God's promises, promises, with the joy of worshiping him and understanding he's a great God so that you would uh, tap into the joy and the confidence that we have as Christians, knowing that God's got this, he's got us. He's the ultimate um, king over everything. 
And I don't have to be afraid. Yeah, yeah. And the the concert, which is the beginning of our weekend, is an excellent opportunity to lift our voices together in song, to listen to lyrics that will be presented by the musicians you mentioned a few moments ago that reinforce that message of what we know to be true about God, but is so often drowned out by Mm -hmm. the uh, competing voices of the culture. So it's going to be a great time to be reminded of the attributes and the sufficiency of of Christ as we um, lift our voices uh, and and worship together. Yes. And then I'm really looking forward to the conference because that gives uh, women an opportunity to go deeper. As you mentioned on Friday, that's open to everybody, men and women, babies, you know, (laughs) small dogs are not welcome, but other other than that. (laughs) Uh, But on Saturday, we have the opportunity to go deeper and uh, we have speakers that are going to focus in on certain aspects of fear and how we get from there to where we want to be. And that is women of faith. Uh, We're going to hear um, uh, from, let's see, I've got this itinerary right in front of me. We're going to hear about um, uh, trusting God when you're disappointed, uh, dealing with anger, how to journey from that place of fear to that place of, of faith, um, trusting God when you're disappointed. And so many of us find that we are disappointed. Uh, we've got a lot of um, trusting God when you've been hurt, when you've been hurt. Thank you. Yes. And Trish Bussy Jetter is going to start the, the day with laying out the, the basics of trust. You know, there's some anchors in there. And she's going to lay that out for us at the beginning, and then I'm going to close it up at the end with uh, the journey from fear to faith. And there's going to be an opportunity to just talk, um, uh, kind of a Q&A session as well, as we as women just talk about what's yeah. what's deep on our heart. Uh, I'm also uh, really looking forward to um, the fact that... Uh, the Joy of Dance is going to be performing uh, uh, during the conference, and we're excited about that. They They give a wonderful... Uh, Three-dimension, I like to call it three-dimension when you dance and worship all at the mm-hmm. same time. So. I was going to say that I'm I'm really excited because we're, we fashioned the day sort of like a TED Talk so that we're not breaking out into sessions where you have to choose from one to two speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're going to have the opportunity to hear from all four of these seasoned, mature women of faith who um, who have opened God's Word and are going to be able to make it clear to us as we uh, look to the, the best source we can um, to try to make this journey one that is honoring to Christ and edifying to his people. So I'm excited about that. We'll hear yes. all four of the speakers. There'll be music intertwining, as you mentioned, uh, some dance, and, and all of our senses will be heightened as we uh, look to God and his word. Yes. It's always hard to choose which speaker to go to because they're so mm. good in the subjects you're interested in. There's always more than one, and when you're limited that way, It really is hard to choose. So one of the things that two years ago that the ladies mentioned on our uh, last slip that we did, our evaluation, they mentioned they wish they could go to more than one session. So this year you get to hear them all. And we're really excited about that because I want to hear them all. Yes. Yeah, I do too. We're also giving uh, women an opportunity to actually um, give voice to the Holy Spirit. There'll be a, a period of um, sort of a Selah moment where you can stop and reflect, Lord, what are you saying to my heart? How do I respond to what mm-hmm. uh, the Spirit is saying? Mm-hmm. What would you have me do? So I, I appreciate that we don't have so much going on that you have to wait till the end of the day. You're back home and things are swirling around you. You have a moment to pause and reflect and listen to what God is saying. So we're hoping that Women will come away transformed and with a sense of direction. Yes, these are things, these things are fearful. And yet, I, as a woman of faith, I know how to navigate in a way that's honoring to Christ and I'm not 
I'm not guided by or led right. by fear. Right. So yeah. yay. Yay. And <laughs> and the conference includes a delicious lunch and we'll have time around the table to fellowship with the other women at our table and, and we'll have some fun together. Um, we'll share some uh, giveaways together and uh, it'll be good. Undaunted's uh, performing again. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, many of you know that Georgine released a Christmas album last Christmas and she's going to share one of the songs from that album Yay. at the conference on Saturday. Yay. And uh, <laughs> so all those good things are happening Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a wonderful weekend. Wonderful. Yeah. Again, I want to encourage you to check out uh, the details at undauntedministries.org. You can certainly come to the concert as a standalone. You can come to the concert and the conference, uh, both things, and there's a a discounted price for doing both things. Or you can just come to the conference, but all the details are at undauntedministries.org. Or if you're not tech savvy, you can call 971-225-3608, 7, or no, 3608. You want to get that right. How could I have forgotten that we're serving lunch? I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's a very important element. <laughs> that's a quest- Everyone asks that question when they call me. <laughs> what about lunch? Yeah, it comes with a prize. Yay. And you save a ton of money if you register ahead of time. So Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 Again, undauntedministries.org or the telephone number 971-225-3608. Eight. Thank you, Deborah. <laughs> See, we need one another. Yes, we do. Proves we're, it right we're gonna there. Take, <laughs> we're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes. When we come back, we want to share a little bit of the music that we'll be performing. And I should mention, as you at the top of our first segment uh, mentioned, we wrote a devotional and we have a CD that those will be available at the event as well. As if you'd like to um, uh, avail yourself of an opportunity to really um, listen to the music and have a devotional that. Uh, guides you through those very ideas. Well, I want to thank both of you for coming and hanging out with me in studio today. It's um, always such a joy to be together, but then to share you with my other friends, right. my KPDQ friends as well. <laughs> Thanks for having us, yeah. And to extend a um, personal invitation from each of us to each of you to join us in concert uh, this Friday at 7.30 p.m. New Song Church. Uh, you can also join us, women, at the conference on Saturday. That starts at 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And you can learn more at undauntedministries.org. Would encourage you to uh, take advantage of the presale because you get a better uh, deal. But you can purchase uh, your uh, tickets at the door as well. Undauntedministries.org. Or you can phone 971-225-3608. 971-225-3608. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, as Johnny Erickson Tata marked 50 years in her wheelchair this last July, she reflected on the many changes in society in these last few decades, especially toward those with disabilities. And she realized that developments in the assisted suicide movement since she first wrote when, it, uh, when Is It Right to Die back in 1992 have greatly increased the danger to those who are most vulnerable. And it's more important than ever to rightly understand the meaning of true compassion for those who are disabled or who are dying. Well, Johnny Erickson Tata is the founder and chief executive officer of Johnny and Friends International Disability Center, uh, is an international advocate for people with disabilities. A diving accident in 1967 
left her then 17, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. After two years of rehabilitation, she emerged with new skill and a fresh determination to help others in similar situations. She founded Johnny and Friends in 1979 to provide Christ-centered programs to special needs families as well as to train churches. Johnny and Friends serves thousands of special needs families through Family Retreat and has delivered nearly 200,000 wheelchairs and Bibles to needy disabled persons in developing nations. She's a life uh, has a lifelong passion um, uh, to bring the gospel to the world's one billion people with disabilities. She survived a stage three breast cancer in 2010, yet she keeps a very active ministry schedule. In fact, she's joining us today to do just that. Again, the book is being re-released. It's updated, an edition that includes about 25% new information. When is it right to die? A comforting and surprising look at death and dying. Johnny Erickson, Tata, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Georgine, it's good to be with you. And, uh, boy, thank you for mentioning that, uh, that uh, message that I gave at Missions Connection. That was a wonderful conference. It was, I think, back in January of this year, almost a year ago. And, uh, boy, I loved being with you, and I loved being in Portland. Well, we're, we were just delighted to have you. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, as I mentioned, um, the book that we're talking about today was originally released some 25 years ago. And you make note in the um, in the uh, preface that at that time you were talking primarily theoretically. You, you saw examples of assisted suicide and euthanasia in other parts of the world. But we hadn't imagined at that time, 25 years ago, that we'd be talking about what's happening, for example, right here in the state of Oregon. What prompted you to re-release this book with updated material that's relevant to what's happening now? Well, I I think when uh, Washington and Oregon first uh, legalized assisted suicide, uh, back then no one really understood how much that would have that would have an impact on uh, our national thinking, our national debate. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, uh, just um, well, a few years later, uh, here we are with this growing, swelling tide of this mentality says that this mentality that says you're better off dead than disabled. And for me, this is so alarming to people with disabilities and families with special needs. I felt uh, an urgent sense that I needed to update and revise and and modernize not only the language, but bring people up to speed as to the current situation on this growing trend to legalize uh, doctor-assisted death across the United States, and to, to shout out a warning because um, people really do buy into the premise that you are better off dead than disabled. Why shouldn't a despairing quadriplegic have access to assisted suicide? Uh, That's the thinking that many people have, and in fact, there have been movies as of late. I think last year was the movie uh, Me Before You, Mm -hmm. uh, the third movie that Hollywood made about despairing quadriplegics choosing to end their lives by assisted suicide, and uh, the the movie actually tugs uh, on people's emotions. And my goodness, when we consider that politics flows downstream from culture and from movies and things of that sort, it, it, it makes it makes this whole 
um, debate so personal, so real, and so close to home because disability touches every family, whether it's an elderly parent who is caught in a maze of, uh, of questions about end-of-life issues or if it's a disabled child with a significant um, medical condition, uh, whether it's uh, somebody like myself, a quadriplegic, who is wondering whether or not life really is worth living. So I felt called to write this book because uh, we all, you know, we all will have to face those tough questions at a time when, when it's going to be inconvenient, it's going to be messy, when our thinking is not going to be very clear. So, uh, frankly, I, I see this book as a valuable resource for every home library, and I believe it'll give the reader practical encouragement and true biblical counsel, so that when the reader is faced with these tough end of life questions, they'll be able to make good, wise decisions. Mm, Absolutely. One of the things that I've seen in this culture uh, is the redefinition of compassion, relieving someone of life and giving them the dignity of death is now sort of the mantra that it's the compassionate thing to do uh, to advocate for someone with disability or a, a quality of life that the majority sees as less than acceptable, that the compassionate thing to do is then um, to relieve them of the burden, which in turn relieves caregivers of the burden. Talk about the the appropriate definition of compassion and how we've seen that being distorted in such a way that it's not in the best interest of those who suffer and those who care for them. Well, uh, compassion in the Christian sense is uh, means come, which is with, and passion, which means suffering with suffering. That's literally what the word compassion means, with suffering. And so when you demonstrate compassion toward a loved one who is dying or perhaps a person with a severe uh, disabling condition who's despairing, you are with them in their suffering. You don't end their suffering. You don't cut short their suffering. No, you are with them in that suffering, and you uh, you, you strive to give positive meaning in that suffering. And right now, in this day and age, our society sees absolutely no virtue in suffering. Uh, we feel we are entitled to healthy lives of ease and comfort, and absolutely nothing less than that, and that affliction should be avoided at all costs. Uh, what's more, we've, we've even redefined not only compassion and uh, tried to um, define it as three grams of phenobarbital in the veins, like cut this person's suffering short. But we redefine the word courageous. We think that people who um, ask for doctor-assisted death in states where it is legal, we think they make courageous decisions. But this is that sly, slippery slope of redefining good words, mm-hmm. because compassion is a good word. It does not mean three grams of phenobarbital in the veins. Courage is not asking a doctor to end your life. No, no, courage is facing life, facing adversity. Uh, It it is finding virtue in your hardship. It is staying uh, connected to reality. It is um, reaching out of your social isolation to others to find spiritual community and and good support systems. Uh, Those are the courageous things to do when you're suffering. And the compassionate thing for us to do is to help people find that virtue and find that positive meaning in their hardships. 
Mm. I'll never forget your describing your morning routine and the community of people that come alongside to make it possible for you to do an interview like this one, to just get up in the morning, as you uh, as you put it, to arrive and uh, your your presence being a blessing to those uh, who benefit uh, by it. Uh, you don't speak um, about this kind of suffering uh, and and the courage that it takes. Uh, theoretically, this is what your life is like on a day to day basis, and most of us don't really appreciate even the challenge of of engaging in a conversation like this one. What it takes to get you to that place. So you're not talking as uh, as someone who does not know what suffering is and hasn't had to step up and uh, demonstrate that courage. Well. God bless you, Georgine, for even observing that and mentioning it, because you're absolutely right. Um, You know, I represent millions of Americans with tough disabilities who find it incredibly overwhelming and so challenging to even get up in the morning. Uh, Real briefly for our listeners, uh, I've been in this wheelchair as a quadriplegic for 50 years, and I battled stage 3 cancer, and I deal daily with chronic pain. And as I age, um, it's getting harder, not easier. And so, frankly, I wake up in the morning, and I, uh, my eyes aren't even open. My, my head's not even off the pillow. And I am already overwhelmed by the day. And maybe some of our listeners can identify, and they're not even quadriplegics. You, 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 you lie there in bed, uh, not quite awake, and you're thinking already about what you need to do during the day, and you, you don't have the strength to face it. You don't have the energy. There's so many demands and expectations. Uh, there are bad medical reports. There's financial strain. There's stress in every family. Uh, and there's no cul-de-sac in America that is not touched by some sort of suffering. And sometimes we just don't we don't have the resources to even face the day and that's where i live every single day but georgine that that's that's when i say to the lord god i say jesus i cannot do this but you can you promise me that i can do this through you through your strength that empowers me to say yes to this day i'm going to believe that you're going to give me the energy and the resources and indeed even the smile to, to, to face this day with a positive attitude, not in spite of my problems, but because of them, because these problems are the very things, Jesus, that pushed me into your arms, mm. where otherwise I might not be humanly, naturally inclined to go. And, and Georgine, that, that, that's, a, that's a great way to wake up in the morning. That's a biblical way to wake up. That's the only way to wake up in the morning, boasting in your afflictions, glorying in your limitations, because then you know Christ's power rests on you. I mean, this is the kind of insight that we need to share with people who are despairing of their lives, because it's not too far out of the realm of possibility that in the future, Oregon or Washington or other states with assisted suicide legislation are going to be forced to expand their definitions of what a terminal yes. illness is. Yes. I mean, it only takes one person despairing of his disability who feels like he or she has nothing to live for to petition a judge to rule in favor of expanding the definition of terminal illness to include disability. And and I can see the day when a despairing quadriplegic like me just throws her hands up in the air and says, I can't handle this anymore, and puts forth a court challenge so that some judge will uh, say that quadriplegia counts as a terminal illness. Mm. 
And uh, we already are seeing that in Canada and in Belgium and the Netherlands. And I can see that becoming uh, the rule of law here in the United States unless we provide the support services needed, better hospice care, and again, help people find virtue in their suffering. That, that's the challenge. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. We're talking with Johnny Erickson Tata, her re-released book, When Is It Right to Die? A Comforting and Surprising Look at Death and Dying. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and uh, we're having a conversation with Johnny Erickson Tata. Her re released book, When Is It Right to Die? A Comforting and Surprising Look at Death. Uh, and dying. The book contains about a quarter uh, percent of new content. It's divided into three sections that address what it means to live well, what it means to choose, and what it means to die. Each chapter includes real-life examples to illustrate her points, as well as discussion questions at the end uh, for readers to flesh out what uh, what choices they might make in similar situations based on the information shared in the preceding pages. And you get a biblical worldview on these subjects that you do not find uh, swirling in the culture. Talk a little bit about how you see um, the re-release of your book, When Is It Right to Die, being used by families, by individuals who want to not only have a biblical understanding of the value of life and how to approach these issues, um, but also um, how to prepare for the, the possibility of finding themselves in a conversation or even uh, having to make decisions of their own. Well, I think all of our listeners, myself included, we all smile when we talk about uh, that glorious day when God will call us home and we'll be with the, our Savior forever. The hard part is getting there. Hmm. I mean, you know, when God calls us home, we all hope for a quick and a painless death. But in this day of rapidly advancing technology, of cultural whispers that ascribe no virtue to suffering, uh, our ability to make clear head decisions about end-of-life issues, it can really get clouded. Now, we say on one hand, just let me go naturally, but but it's it's just not that easy. We can get lost in the labyrinth of, of uh, conflicting medical opinions and tubes and machines, and, and plus there's a growing trend that says, just skip the suffering. Doctors today can easily put an end to your pain with a lethal drug. And honestly, many Christians are even buying into that trend. Yes. Uh, 69% of Americans agree that physicians should be allowed to assist uh, you know, people with terminal illnesses in ending their lives. And 42% of evangelicals expressed the same level of agreement. And, and that's alarming. So we've got to wonder, what, what, what does the Bible say? Well, in this in this book, When Is It Right to Die, um, I go ahead and I tell the stories of families who have wrestled with uh, end-of-life questions, and, and they have found that death with dignity is not necessarily hastening one's exit out of this life, even if they are encountering suffering. I mean, these families, I know them. They have something to say. And in a very warm and personal way in this book, they speak about their temptation to cut short the suffering of their elderly parent or their severely disabled child. And what they say in the book, I think, will really surprise the reader. Um, So honestly, Georgine, I see this book, When Is It Right to Die, as, as I said, a valuable resource for, for every home, because whether you have a family member approaching life's end 
or uh, you are struggling, let's say, with a, uh, a diagnosis of stage 3, stage 4 cancer, or maybe you're struggling with a chronic condition that feels overwhelming, or you have a child who's medically fragile, everyone at one time or another, is going to be confronted with end-of-life questions. And that's why I wrote this book. I want to give the reader practical encouragement yes. and biblical counsel so they can make those good decisions. And I appreciate that you emphasize that decisions must be made based on the absolute value of life, reflecting the long-held ethic that human life holds complete worth without relationship to a person's functioning ability, something that's, that's lost or being lost in our culture today. And something else is being lost. Christians have a fundamental fear of suffering. Hmm. And, 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 and that, that is because of, again, I think of the, the, the comforts and the conveniences that we become so used to here in America. But basically, we don't live as the early church lived. Uh, we don't live even as the medieval church uh, lived. We, we live in a, in a desperate fear of suffering. But fear for, should never be the foundation for social policy. It should not be society's role to help people end their lives if they do not have the, 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 the psychological or the physical wherewithal to do it themselves. Um, most people, when they're at the end stages of life, are afraid of pain. They're afraid of abandonment. We're afraid of isolation. We don't want to be a burden to our families. Well, all these issues can be addressed. Uh, they are problems, yes, but they're problems that have solutions. Solutions like, you know, better pain management, better support services, better family counseling, and so much more. So, so let's pour our resources into making it easier for people to live and not to die. And I think that, that's, that's the challenge that God lays yes. at our feet as Christians. We are the ones who need to help salt our society and shine light on on wrong thinking and help people, help our friends and neighbors, even people in our churches, see the virtue in suffering. There is, I mean, I'm the quadriplegic of 50 years. I can tell you there is virtue in even the deepest affliction. And finding out that virtue is not easy. It's a challenge, but it is so enriching to one's life. You just don't want to miss it. You don't want to waste your sufferings by cutting them short through death. Mm. The book, once again, is titled, When Is It Right to Die? A Comforting and Surprising Look at Death and Dying. It's an updated edition, and you're going to find it very helpful in uh, informing us of what the Scripture has to say and helping us to make decisions that are pleasing to God and honoring to the life and value of others. Now, before I let you go, I just have to ask, how might we pray for you as you continue to minister all around the world? Oh, what a great question. Well, I will be quite frank and, again, quite practical. Um, I deal with a lot of hardship in my quadriplegia and a lot of pain. But, Georgina, I, I just so love what I do. I can't think of anything I would rather do than wake up in the morning and wheel into the office of Johnny and Friends and do everything I can to make life better for other people who suffer, especially those who suffer severe disabling conditions, whether we deliver wheelchairs and Bibles overseas 
families to needy disabled people, whether we run our 50 family retreats for special needs families here in the States and in developing nations, or if I personally advocate along with my friends uh, who are disability advocates against the advancement of legalizing physician-assisted suicide. I so love what I do. I so enjoy um, using this wheelchair as a platform to give Christians that, that biblical worldview on suffering and, and how they can find virtue in it rather than escape it. So please pray that God will keep me healthy, that God will minimize my pain, that I will have endurance, perseverance, courage and resolve, and uh, best of all, compassion for others who hurt as well. Mm. Johnny, thank you so much for the work that you do, for talking with us here today, and and for this uh, important book, When Is It Right to Die? Hey, God bless, and have a great afternoon. Okay, you too, and all of my friends listening today. Thank you so much. Oh, don't you just love her? Again, Johnny Erickson Tata, When Is It Right to Die? A comforting and surprising look at death and dying. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Wes Walterman. The singing Christmas tree is just around the corner. Now's a great time to get your tickets, but not just for you and your family. What about that neighbor down the street? We'll talk with him about that in a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. And as I promised, Wes Walterman is with me in studio. He's the director of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree Choir. And believe it or not, that season is upon us once again. Portland Singing Christmas Tree is uh, celebrating 55 years. This is the 55th season of bringing joy uh, and uh, hope and love and all of the things around Christmas with a two-hour musical production that showcases both contemporary and traditional Christmas music, Formed by 350 adult and youth choir voices, dance numbers, the Jefferson Dancers are going to be back, and much, much more. Wes, I know this is a very busy time for you. You've been working with the choir for quite some time, and yes. uh, opening night is approaching. Welcome. I think we're 11 days away from opening night, but thank you. It's great to be here with you, and uh, always enjoy being on your show. Really? Is it only 11 days? <laughs> That's oh what I saw goodness. on Facebook today. It's like 11 days until opening night. I'm like, what? When did that happen? <laughs> well, that's exciting. <laughs> the choir's been working, of course, for quite some time, but for the rest of us, uh, it's exciting to know that the 55th season of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree is fast approaching, and we want to make sure our listeners are aware that that season is relatively short. The first performance will be on Friday, November 24th, and then we'll run through Sunday night, and then again on Thursday, November the 30th, right through Sunday, December the 3rd, with nine performances uh, for you to enjoy. And we really want to encourage you to reflect on what's been going on in our world around us. I'm telling you, people are, uh, they're, they're sad, they're frustrated, there's a lot of uh, division and derision among us, and what better way to bring unity to a community uh, by bringing the Christmas story to life in the joyous way that the Portland Singing Christmas Tree does that. So this year, when you're getting your tickets, I want to encourage you to not only bring you and your family, but what about the neighbor down the street, the elderly person that lives a block or so over, someone from your church who might not be able to come, someone who's disabled in your uh, in your neighborhood that, that would thoroughly enjoy a performance of the Singing Christmas Tree. Well, Wes, what can we expect in 2017. Well, it just seems like the show kind of gains momentum every year, and uh, we've got a lot of a lot of cool things happening this year, including we're bringing Fred Claus back. That's Santa's brother. He's a, <laughs> a fiddle player, and uh, so Greg Tamlin, our, our producer, has woven him into the storyline of the first half during the secular secular part of the show, and it's going to be wonderful. Of course, you mentioned the the uh, Jefferson Dancers. They're in quite a few numbers. We're bringing a brand new song called Christmas Waltz in. 
it's in a three four pattern, and we have dance. They're going to be in these gowns, and it'd be like a, a ballroom dance type of thing. A lot of different songs. We're also bringing back something we introduced last year called Christmas Through the Years, and it's basically taking the audience from the 1920s all the way to current through each decade of the different styles of music. And we do that through Christmas music. And of course, uh, you mentioned the love, joy, and peace that this world so desperately needs, and we live in turbulent times. And so the, 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 the thrust of this year's show and how we're going to compact it and bring it down to layman's terms is the word peace. And so we end the show with our, our cinematic living nativity. It's really moving. And then Timothy will be singing the song that Michael W. Smith made famous, Michael McDonald, called Peace. Mm-hmm. And so we end the show with peace. And just we want the audience to forget their problems, forget their woes, forget what's happening in the world for two and a half hours and come in and just release themselves to us for those two and a half hours. And that uh, we, would, we would bring our audience what's, what so many audience members need and want and long for, and that's, that's love and joy and happiness and peace. And so that's, that's kind of what we're shooting for this year. Well, and nobody does it better than uh, Wes Walterman and the Portland Singing Christmas Tree Choir, the beautiful voices of these uh, men and women and children who have worked for weeks to present a stellar performance that really puts things into perspective. You know, Christmas falls at a time when, you know, there's a lot going on, and to, to bring us back to uh, a right focus is a great opportunity. And again, I want to encourage you not only to come, but to bring someone who desperately needs to hear that message with you. Now, one of the things you introduced when you became the director of the choir was to include high school choirs mm-hmm. from this community that participate in the tree, and then also helping in their music programs. Yeah, so that began, began out of kind of a yearning in my heart to give back to our local high school programs that Many of them have been stripped away from mm-hmm. their budgets and that kind of thing. And uh, just because I have four kids and a lot of them have gone through the high school programs, and I know how important those are in educating our youth and, and kind of launching them out into the real world. And so uh, what better way to give back to our community than through our local high school music programs? So we invite a different high school every performance. This year we have 10 coming, um, and they will perform a song on their own, and they, they are to learn two other songs that we as a tree choir will be performing in the production so that they actually get to perform with all, all 300 plus voices on stage. So not only do they get to perform their own song at the Keller on the Keller stage in front of an audience they've never seen before and to have the audience enjoy their music, but then they also get to participate in a couple more songs that we as a tree choir are doing. And it's, and then we give them a check this year. Uh, last year it was $750 just didn't feel like enough. And so this year we're, we're, uh, we did some, um, um, just some soul searching, and we like we got to come up with a thousand dollars. So it's it's a stretch for us to do that for each of these high schools, but it's important, and we're going to make sure that happens. So each each high school choir gets a thousand dollars to do with whatever they want, whether they want oh, to put incredible. toward music or you know whatever their need is at that time. And what an encouragement to these young people to express the fact that we value yes. uh, you as young musicians. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and to encourage them to continue. Uh, I mentioned that there are nine performances, but uh, and opening night officially is Friday, November the 24th. But yes. on the Wednesday, just before Thanksgiving, there's a special performance that always touches my heart. Tell our listeners you know, a little about it. It's one of my most favorite performances because uh, it's our preview Sponsors preview night. So our main sponsor this year is, is Reesers. And so what we do is we open the house to those underprivileged kids and those low-income families that just would love to come to the tree, but just it, it's too tight. It's, their finances are a little bit too tight to be able to buy tickets. So we allow them to come for free. And uh, they are so appreciative. And 
we get the largest applauses during yeah, the show. So enthusiastic. Oh, they are. They are through the whole entire show, and they are so thankful. And so it's it's a privilege to do that every every year. You know, thousands of people have been invited to the Portland Singing Christmas Tree who otherwise could not afford uh, the tickets to attend, and this year is no exception. So I want you to know a little bit about the heart of the Singing Christmas Tree and that it's supporting young musicians, extending opportunities for low-income families and the disabled and uh, organizations that minister uh, to the homeless, giving them an opportunity to come and enjoy uh, what is a stellar performance of uh, Christmas music uh, with the um, the nativity in the second half. Uh, it's just unparalleled. If you haven't had the chance to see it, uh, it's hard to describe because it's such a beautiful presentation of uh, the story of the incarnation of Christ and his birth. You just have to be there to see it. Now, one of the things we want to make sure you do is is not put off buying your tickets. As I mentioned, the first performance is on Friday, November the 24th. And the last performance is on Sunday, December 3rd. And I cannot tell you how many people have spoken to me over the years. Oh, yeah, I'm planning on coming to the the singing Christmas tree, you know, a week after the final performance. So we want to make sure you know what that window of opportunity is and encourage you to purchase your tickets for you, your family, uh, some friends. Make an, an evening of it, an afternoon of it, and really enjoy kicking off the Christmas season in a way that will be memorable and kind of put things, as I mentioned earlier, put them in uh, into perspective. Now, um, Wes, uh, your wife, Coral, is one of the soloists of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. She's a beautiful opera singer. Um, hearing her sing some of these uh, standard songs that uh, really characterize uh, Christmas and the old hymns of Christmas in a way that they're supposed to be sung. Yeah. Aaron uh, Tamblin, who's also going to be performing, Timothy Greenidge, uh, you've got some wonderful performers that are part of this street, and I can't believe that I'm invited to be a part of that <laughs> as well. I mean, it, it still uh, is stunning to me, but it's such yeah. a joy to sing together with the choir, to fellowship with the kids, to be with the Jefferson yeah. dancers, and to do all of that under your leadership. I don't know if people appreciate just what a gifted and talented musician you are. Maybe if you've been to the hymn sing, you might have some idea, mm-hmm. but how gifted you are at leading um, a choir, an orchestra, all of the elements that go into this. You really bring a, a great deal to what the Singing Christmas Tree is. Thank you. Thank you, Georgine. And uh, it, it makes my job easy to have singers such as yourself and Timothy and Coral and Aaron and Courtney Temple coming yes. on stage along with 300 Voices, one of the largest choirs in the Northwest. And, you know, uh, when I took this job on five years ago, I wanted to take a little tour of the United States on my own dime. And so I, I flew to four different states and I actually went to different Christmas shows at various various cities. And I didn't find one major Christmas show that in, included um, a volunteer that w- was in a downtown setting. They were all at local churches. And so I'd, I'd attend these local churches, pay money for these tickets. And uh, what I saw was was pretty moving. But what we're doing here is so unique because we have over 300 volunteers that give of their time they pay a small amount of dues to be in this tree. They give of their time and, and their family commitment time to to all come together to learn and memorize over 20 songs, mm. to stand on the stage of the Civic Center, the Keller Auditorium, in a downtown Portland venue, and present the gospel of Jesus Christ two full weekends in a row. I mean, where else in the United States is that happening? Uh, I would I would really be interested to know, and maybe I should do a study someday of of where where in the United States is this happening in the various cities and with different volunteers and so this is such a unique 
this is such a unique city anyways. And for this to happen every year, and this is the 55th year, is really special. Well, it is special. And again, we want to make sure that you are in on one of these nine performances at the Keller Auditorium. And yes, we're back at the Keller again this year. Again, the first performance is November 24th through December the 3rd. So that window is relatively brief. The good news is there's time to get your tickets right now for you, your family, your neighbors, your friends, whoever. Go to singingchristmastree.org. That's singingchristmastree.org. Or you can call and purchase your tickets at 503-557-8733. That's 503-557-8733. I would encourage you to do that, oh, I don't know, right about now. <laughs> okay, uh, Wes, I appreciate your taking time to be with us today. Oh, I know there's welcome. a big rehearsal tonight, yes. and I'll, I'm looking forward to seeing you there. And I'm looking forward to seeing many of our listeners at the Portland Singing Christmas Tree this year, again, November 24th through December the 3rd. Call and purchase your tickets at 503 557 8733 And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. And I have to tell you, on days like this, I love my job. Okay, we started out. I talk with a couple of friends of mine that I do ministry with undaunted in the four o'clock hour. Just a couple of girls sitting around talking. Then I had the opportunity to talk with Johnny Erickson Tata, who's re-released a classic of hers, When Is It Right to Die? And then Wes Walterman, who is the director of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, All of that to say that I went a little long on virtually all of those segments, so I have just a short time in this final segment to tell you what's coming up the remainder of the week. On Tuesday, we're going to talk with Paul Kingor. He's the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Communism. As you know, about a week and a half ago, they celebrated their 100th anniversary, if you can put it such a way. Then on Wednesday, Transitional Youth will join me in studio for their annual Radiothon. This is our opportunity to focus on homeless youth that live on the streets of Portland and the ministry that reaches out uh, to them and is uh, not only helping to transition them from the streets of Portland, but uh, they have transformational work as well. So we're looking forward to getting an update on this ministry and how we can come alongside and support young people uh, on the streets to get off the streets and into a life that they can uh, they can thrive in. On Thursday, we'll talk with Bill Foster. Bill is the author of, listen to me, I'm calling him Bill, like he and I are best friends. Bill Foster, Mr. Foster, <laughs> Uh, How the Bible Works, Seeing the Connectedness of Scripture. Now, if you were unfamiliar with the Bible and you were just handed, you'd start at the beginning of Genesis and read through to the end, and you'd expect one chapter to follow logically after the other. Well, the Bible is structured in a particular way, uh, but there is connectedness throughout. And this is an effort to um, uh, educate people who are unfamiliar with the Bible and how it is connected. So Bill Foster will talk with us. Uh, about that. And then Friday, I am going to take the day because that's the uh, uh, the night of the concert that uh, Jerutha, Deborah, and I talked about earlier in the program. So uh, the best of the Georgine Rice show will be the fair for uh, Friday. So that's the lineup for the remainder of the week. And of course, we'll be covering uh, all the breaking news as it occurs throughout the day. Um, a lot of things hanging is certainly the Tax reform package, both the House and the Senate. Uh, we're expecting some movement, if, uh, if little more than debate, and some input on the part of the president on what's uh, likely to be the final version of either of the two. And then, of course, the uh, the reconciliation or the conference that occurs after that. So we'll be following all of that as it makes its way through. We'll also continue to follow what's happening um, with um, uh, Roy Moore as uh, Moore are calling for him to step away. He's a candidate at this point. 
uh, the U.S. Senate candidate Roy Moore, Moore, rather, out of Alabama. He's had a reputation as being a rather outspoken conservative with a high regard for the Ten Commandments. He uh, uh, won the the primary in a very contentious race in uh, Alabama and is on the ballot there. In fact, his name will appear whether or not he withdraws. But we are continuing to see allegations of misconduct on his part. Uh, another woman coming forward today. And we talked earlier about whether or not um, there is a requirement for due process in determining if he should continue as the candidate in Alabama. That's most likely something that the residents of Alabama will ultimately decide. But you're hearing voices in Washington say that even if he wins that election, he should be um, uh, rejected by the uh, by the, the Senate if, if he succeeds. So anyway, we'll continue to follow Uh, All of that, you pray and hope that the allegations are not true, but they need to be taken seriously as they had been taken seriously with other candidates, sitting presidents, members of Congress and so on have been accused of misconduct. So uh, we'll try to follow in all fairness the the case involving uh, U.S. Senate candidate Roy Moore. All right. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank Clark Hilton uh, for engineering. Actually, James Blend engineered this entire program today. Thanks, James. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.